Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Has the time arrived to give up on the Saints? Because it sure does feel that way. You keep trying to give them the opportunity. You keep trying to hold out hope. You keep trying to convince yourself that this is a good team. And yet they just keep on keeping on. Woof. Andy Dalton said, you know what's better than one pick six in a close ball game? Two. Right before halftime, back to back. You're welcome, America. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III. I'll be here with you for the next glorious three hours. That's how we're going to get you to the weekend. Of course, I'm joined by a woman known in some parts as Miss Bubbly, not to be mistaken with Miss Buble, the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah. Five names is here. We got a tremendous show lined up for you today. You know how we get you ready for the weekend. We go big or we go home. We take the Andy Dalton approach to the Friday show. We give you the best of what we got, and we give you the worst of what we got. And afterwards, you'll be unsatisfied. (laughs) James Yasko will be joining us at straight up 7 o'clock. That is positive news. We'll get to that. The Astros. Jose Altuve still can't buy a hit. Jordan Alvarez isn't hitting either. Yet it doesn't matter because Alex Bregman's like, I got this. And the Yankees continue to strike out. Down 2-0, series goes back to the Bronx. We'll talk about the ALCS with James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast at 7 o'clock. At 7.30, we're going to give you a preview of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns versus the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Kara Ritchie is going to join us. She talks and covers... Red Wolves football. That'll be at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, we'll preview Ole Miss LSU. Also look at some of the other games in the SEC and talk a little bit about Tulane Greenway football, by the way, ranked in the top 25, with our old friend Chrissy Freud. That'll be at 8 o'clock. At 8.15, your fantasy football expert. He sacrifices winning himself to give you the best advice possible. Zach Miller will join us. And then... At 8.30 for the Big Easy Blitz to recap and to put a cherry on top of what happened last night in the desert is our guy, you know him better as Dat Boy Wolf, 
Ryan Hinton from the Saints Twitter podcast. So those are the guests we got lined up for you today. We're also will be giving our picks for McNeese, UL, and LSU. You may be surprised about the positivity when it comes to those picks. Spoiler alert. Or is it? Is it misdirection? You'll just have to stay tuned to find out. Of course, we want to hear from you. We love to hear from you. Hotline's always open if you have a good phone call. The standard for the phone calls is climbing around here. The bar is being taken up a notch. Not only by you, the caller, but by the producer extraordinaire. We had a good conversation last night. She said, RP3, we need to take this show up a notch. What can we do to make RP3 and company an award-winning, highly rated, beloved show? And I said one thing. We got to have the best phone calls in all sports talk radio. She goes, well, you know what that means? That means I got to drop a hammer on some folks. I got to tell them. I got to push them. I got to tell them to give us better phone calls. I said, you do what you got to do for our show. So if you call up the hotline today, moving forward, you better bring it. Because if you don't, if you don't bring it, you don't deliver the goods, you don't behave yourself while talking to the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, you know what's going to happen? You may not get on the air. What? Yes. We're nearing her year anniversary, fellas. She's about to take it to another level. I hope you're prepared because she's about to take it to another level. Good morning, five names. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. I just love finding out in the morning how much stuff I tell you the day before that I have no idea that I said that. There was plenty of conversations held at the little party last night. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. All the time. <laughs> we have a lot of conversations that I have no idea I said. It's fun times. Sometimes I play out these scenarios <laughs> and you're not involved. <laughs> but I say, I, I, I say to myself, well, she'd be down for that. Why wouldn't she be? Putting the hammer down on people I didn't know was doing that. <laughs> Can I gotta get a hammer now? It will be... <clears throat> it's a scenario for this morning that you're just going to take it, right? Okay, yeah. Because you got what we call the footsie split. Yeah. Saints lose... By the way, shout out to that defense for tackling. Whew. Shout out to Andy Dalton for two pick sixes. There's Jameis Winston looked at during the game and he was like, "Really, bro? Like you you gave up two pick sixes? Dang, that's impressive." They lose, but the Astros win. Yeah. So you're going to get half and half. It's not going to be complete disarray depression and anger this morning no it's gonna be a glorious but yet frustrating and angry it's gonna friday be, morning it's gonna be a, a complex cocoon of emotions from the footsie this morning yeah. 
But that's the best case scenario. Because if Aaron Judge's uh, blast would have just went to maybe a couple more feet, we'd be having a different conversation today. <laughs> I'm just saying. It'd be a little bit of a different conversation today. We'll get to the Strohs. But we got to start off with the Saints. It was almost a replica in many ways of the Cincinnati game. It just was. You're watching this game, and once again, the the question got brought up last night on social media. What happened to so-and-so? And it's the same conversation that was had the week prior or just four days prior. Rashid Shahid, 53-yard pass from Andy Dalton. Remember, he scored on the 44-yard end around against Cincinnati. Called up from the practice squad because of all the issues with the wide receivers. Put him in the game on Sunday. Scores a 44-yard touchdown on an end around. How many more times did he touch the ball in that game? Five names. Want, want to take a guess? Zip. Zero. 53-yard touchdown pass last night. Mm-hmm. Off and running. You know how many more times he touched the ball? None. <laughs> Just here's a guy that gives you a spark. He's literally the two times he's touched the football in the NFL this year. He has scored a 44-yard touchdown and a 53-yard touchdown. And Pete Carmichael and Andy Dalton Brain Trust go, guys, that's great that he scored a touchdown. It's amazing that he has big play potential and gave our offense a spark. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to say, you know what? That's all we need from you. We got this. Yeah, you just want to feel for no reason. <laughs> just things they do just, just make me go, what? I told Kenneth, too. I went and I said, look, this guy right here, he goes, yeah. I said, he scored a touchdown last week. And I got the ball again. He goes, okay. I said, now watch. He got a touchdown right now, right? He goes, yeah. I said, he's not going to get the ball. At the end of the game, he goes, he didn't get the ball the rest of the game. I, said, I told you that. <laughs> we almost turned the TV off to begin with because as soon as I turn on the game, <laughs> we get the two pick sixes. I was like, all right, I'm done. I brought bad luck. Game's gone. I've, I'm like, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you doing? They used Taysom Hill in the first half. You heard Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet talk about it on the Amazon Prime TV broadcast. Uh-huh. And they're like, well, we thought we'd see more Taysom Hill in the second half. Where's he been? Well, O.P. Carmichael and the company said, no, nah, we're good. We're good. We, we moved the ball with Taysom Hill? Nah, we're good. We're good. Yeah. They even went back and they were like, oh, look, no, look, it's on the field right there. See? Second to last one in the end. He's <laughs> that's right there. Ex- that's exactly what they said. He almost recovered the onside kick. Yeah. Oh, this team, this team. But in spite of some inept play calling, yet again, they hold the Cardinals to a field goal, a 50-yard field goal, 7-3. In the second quarter, they hold after Andy Dalton. Remember, his first interception was in the red zone. Actually in, wait for it, the end zone. He had the old hat trick last night. Three picks. Yay. But the Saints bend but don't break defense. 
which lost, by the way, Bradley Roby early in the game. He was in a walking boot by the end of it. So Paulson Adebo couldn't go. So your number one, your number two, and your number three corners are all out of the game. You got a bunch of guys that have no business being in the game. Just Your defensive backs were just like your wide receiver core. A bunch of dudes that no one knows. But yet it's still 7-6. Right? Taysom Hill, wait for it, scored a touchdown. Three-yard touchdown pass from Andy Dalton. You're like, okay, Andy's put the bad throw behind him. He's got two touchdowns now. The Saints have the lead. Here they are. They're on the road, 14-6. to And then it happens. Cardinals start getting their offense been in a rhythm, right? The other Ingram, not Mark, scores on a two-yard touchdown run. Two-point conversion is good. It's now 14-14. And I'm listening to the game on our station, driving back from the shindig. I'm like, okay, it's not too bad. It's tied ball game. Expected this to be a tight ball game as it was. Then Andy Dalton's like, watch this. Now, to be fair, one of the pick sixes really wasn't his fault. Marquez Callaway says, hey, you know what would be awesome to do in the game? Have the ball bounce off my hands because I'm a wide receiver, and that's what I, I catch the ball. Have it bounce off my hands into a defensive player's hands, and then he's going to run it in for a touchdown. So that's not on him. The interception in the end zone, that's on Andy. The other pick six, that's on Andy. That one, that was on Callaway, just to be fair. But right after one pick six that gives the Cardinals a 20-14 to 14 lead, they go right back out there, and it's, wait for it, 56-yard pick six time. that was it that was a wrap I knew then because the offense started to get going for the Cardinals and that allowed them to tie the game they're at home they're in desperation of a win just like the Saints are and then it's back-to-back pick sixes I was like it's over I got home I put it on the television my wife and I are are watching it they get a field goal I'm like okay they cut it down to 28-17 the drive stalls but at least they get points right and I'm like okay but then you allowed Arizona get not only to get back into the game, you allowed them to take a lead in the game. So then they just were running the football, and then the defense missed tackles, and then the defense missed how to do things, and then they just broke down. They allowed a whole pep talk between Murray and Hopkins to go, hey, calm down. All right, cool. Let me target you the rest of the game and have none of the Saints players realize, hey, he's going to target him the rest of the game. To be fair, Hopkins is a top five wide receiver. And the Saints had a bunch of guys off the street. But they did not adjust well. Right? Mm. Like, they did not adjust well to the fact that DeAndre Hopkins was playing football. Which was surprising to me. I was like, you may want to do something about him. Yeah. Jawan Johnson had a nice game. Two touchdown receptions for him, the big fella. Let me give you the stat line on old Andrew. 30 of 47, 
361 yards, four touchdowns, and three picks, including two pick sixes. Alvin Kamara, 11 carries for 49 yards. Chris Olave, back from the concussion, seven receptions for 106 yards. But the main stat that you need to know, two pick sixes, 42-34 loss, and the Saints now fall to two and five. Two and five is what the Houdats fall to. That leads us to our poll question of the day on this glorious Friday. How close are you to giving up on the Saints season? 46% of you say already there. 31% say very close. 15% say close. 8% say not close. Keep those votes coming. We'll share the comments throughout today's show. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll hear from the Saints themselves following yet another loss. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Oh, you got to make sure to join yours truly tomorrow. That's right, because your boy, RP3, and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is going to be at Heritage Housing, located at 3350 North Frontage Road in Jennings from 11 to 1 o'clock tomorrow. That's right. Swing by, register to spin the prize wheel for a chance to score a pair of McNeese football tickets. I got a couple of pairs to give away and more great prizes. So make sure tomorrow, Saturday, you swing by Heritage Housing in Jennings to see yours truly, RP3, and spin the prize wheel so you can score free McNeese football tickets and so much more. New Orleans Saints. Not good. 42 to 34 loss. Couple pick sixes, pick sixes in this ball game as they now fall to two and five overall. Once again, you have a guy make a sensational play in this game, and then he doesn't touch the ball the rest of the game. Like this is back to back games now that this kid is giving you a 44 yard touchdown run and a 50-yard-plus touchdown reception, and no more touches. Taysom Hill in there? Not in there. They're kind of a mess. They're kind of a mess, aren't they? Just awful. This is what Dennis Allen, how he opened up his post-game presser Last night, following the 42-34 to 34 loss to drop them to 2-5 and five overall on the season. Um, I think our tackling was shoddy again. Um, I thought offensively we did some, some, some good things. We moved the ball. Nope. We scored There's some There's nothing points. there. Um, the three takeaways were killers in the game. Um, Let's see if we can get... And look, we got to... 
we got we got to fix some Dennis of these Allen issues. talked That's about responsibility to get these things fixed. Um, we haven't been able to do that. We got to get some guys back. We'll get back. We'll get to those clips later on. You know, forty-two thirty-four loss for the Saints. Dalton thirty of forty-seven for three sixty-one, four touchdowns, three interceptions. Taysom Hill was in there, got forty-eight yards on two for two for passing. They rushed him three times for nine yards and. They just didn't run the ball very well. Kamara, 11 carries for 49 yards. Only rushed the ball, ran the ball 22 times for 85 yards, which was 3.9 a carry. That's not too bad, but still not a ton. And and you look at the wide receivers. Alave went off, but you got Kevin White out there, Traquan Smith, Rashid Shahid, who they only threw to once and then never targeted again despite scoring a 53-yard touchdown. Seems a bit of a mess. Bit of a mess. Poll question of the day. We asked you, how close are you to giving up on the Saints' season? 59% of you say already there. 18% say very close. 14% say close. And 9% say not close at all. Let's get to some of your comments. They're usually always positive. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I don't think I could ever just give up on them. There's always hope that they will win the next game. Every game is a joy to watch win or lose. It's just more fun when they win. I love that positivity from John Paul. Shout out to John Paul with the positivity. My man's a fan no matter what, win or lose. I like that. Ton on Twitter says, Dear Lord, I'm glad I don't have Amazon Prime right now. That was so ugly. It makes me look good. Saints are done, but at least we can stop hearing about the bird gauntlet. Anyway, since Saints season is done, let's go Pels. Hardy switched over to the Pelicans. Salty Steve says, last time the Saints were this bad, people were giving tickets away. This team is like a nightmare. They just keep getting worse. I saw this rerun in the 70s and 80s. Payshawn paying $20 million a year to fix it. And of course, he shared a great photo of a guy with a bag over his head. And Little Neff says, man, I've been a Saints fan when being a Saints fan was a sin. Got to believe. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Travis to the show. Travis, good morning, bud. How are you? Oh, good morning, RP3. Um, <laughs> How's it going, brother? What, How's it going? Man, a na- nausea. Uh, a lot of nausea. <laughs> if I have to watch Throckmorton play much more, um, be, he, he was the silent killer last night. Throckmorton, whew, man, it was not good. It was not good. Uh, it was, he has not been good. And look, Andres Pete's not much better, but Throckmorton wasn't yeah. good. The the DBs they had out there, they didn't do very good. Yeah, there's none of them left. <laughs> there's you no know? one left. And, and you expect Honey Badger to step up and kind of lead that defense, but that has not happened not once. No, he's MIA, man. Well, we'll hope the bye week gets him healthy, but y'all have a good day, RP3, and uh, try to hold on to the who-dad hope, man. Appreciate the phone call, bud. Enjoy your day. Thank you, man. Got to hold out hope. See? Travis is going to hold out hope. That's what I like to hear. He's not giving up on this team yet. Not yet. Now, if they lose to the Raiders, a bad Raiders team, to drop to two and six, 
Halloween weekend, well, then it may be time to start looking for other things. <laughs> I'm just saying. We got to take a timeout here on RP3 and Company. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming, though, on the poll question of the day. When we return, we'll shift gears. Hey, Houston Astros gutted out a win against the New York Yankees to go up 2-0 in the American League Championship Series. We'll talk about that, recap that for you next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, it's time to cook up some gumbo for a very good cause. The Realtor Association of Acadiana is hosting its annual gumbo kick cook-off at Park International on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, October 26th, from 5 to 7 o'clock. The family-friendly event features a Halloween costume contest, music by the Rouge Crew, and, of course, great gumbo from 26 different teams of area realtors who are competing to earn the title of Best Gumbo. Tickets cost $10 and can be purchased with cash only at the event. All proceeds, this is the great thing about this, all proceeds benefit three local charities in Maddie's Footprints, Habitat for Humanity, and Lane's Legacy. So come out and eat some gumbo, help out local charities, and have some Halloween fun with the Realtor Association of Acadiana's annual gumbo kickoff. It's going to be held this coming Wednesday. You mean to tell me I get gumbo? I get to help out local charities, plural. And I get to, there's music. And I can dress up for Halloween. Count me in. Boom, let's make it happen. Saints were losers last night. But the Houston Astros were not. Game two of the ALCS was going on at the same time as Thursday night football. You can listen to the game live on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. And you'll be able to listen game three Saturday on News Talk 98.5 FM as well. As the series shifts to New York, to the Bronx. Interesting game. Look, a series really doesn't ramp up until you get a split. Right, And the whole goal for the Yankees is, hey, let's just get a split. Going to Houston, they get a game, we get a game. And after Verlander pitched to Jim in game one, and the Yankees struck out 17 times, it was time for the Yankees to step up. And for the most part, they played fairly well. They pitched fairly well. Except for they gave up one pitch that they really, really, really didn't want to give up. 
Astros struggled at the dish yet again. Jose Altuve has yet to get a hit this postseason. Over. Jeremy Pena got himself a hit. Jordan Alvarez got himself a hit. But it was Bregman who was the star last night. And Yuli Gurriel. Yuli Gurriel's two for three. All of a sudden, Yuli Gurriel couldn't hit all regular season. 162 games. Postseason comes around and all of a sudden, Yuli's like, hey, I know how to hit again. Which is good for the Astros because they need him. But Bregman hits a three-run blast. And that proved to be enough. Did so there in the bottom of the third to put the Strohs up 3-0. Now, things start to go sideways a little bit there in the fourth for the Strohs. Fermer Valdez, who was on the bump for Houston, it wasn't his pitching that was the problem. He gave up two unearned runs in that frame because of errors by him. Two of them. And you're like, oh, no. He's pitching really well, and and he's going to throw this game away because of some poor fielding decisions. But they stop the bleeding. Framer stops the bleeding. And the Yankees have no answer. The Yankees' bats have absolutely gone silent in this series. Now, do I expect them to be that way for the entirety of this series? No, I do not. But the Yankees have struck out 30 times in this series. The Astros have only struck out eight. Advantage Astros all day long. Like, I get that the Yankees have some free swingers. I get they have sluggers and they like the home run ball. But the Astros love hitting home runs too. They're not striking out. Two games, 30 strikeouts for the Yankees. It's unbelievable. And that's really been the difference is the Astros pitching, not only their starters, but their bullpen. Presley was great yet again. The Yankees have no idea how to hit that guy. But the Astros have more postseason wins. Listen to this stat. This is what's crazy about this. The Astros are 5-0 this postseason, right? They have more postseason wins five than playoff hits with runners in scoring position. They only have four. They put runners on and can't bring them home. They are four for 32 with runners in scoring position in the playoffs. Jose Altuve is 0 for 23 in October. The pitching has been absolutely incredible for the Strohs. It's another. It's just another level. Here's another interesting nugget about the Yankees and the Astros. Courtesy of Bob Nightingale. The Astros and Yankees have now played nine times this season. The Yankees have yet to lead for a full inning. They've yet to lead for a full inning. Now, this series is far from being over. 
Astros are still struggling at the plate. Jose Altuve, by the way, now has the longest hitless streak to begin a postseason of all time. He's a guy that could have the record for most postseason home runs of all time, but he is what we call struggling. So Altuve, not playing well. They're getting contributions from Yuli Gurriel, and Bregman came up big last night, and Jeremy Pena's come up big, and Martin Maldonado's even getting hits. So other guys are picking up the slack, but you expect Altuve and Alvarez and Tucker to kind of figure it out here. Because Jordan Alvarez, by the way, since hitting home runs in games one and two, he went through a stretch of going 0 for 12 before finally getting a hit last night. So the Strohs are not perfect. They have holes in their lineup right now. They're struggling with their lineup, but their pitching has been out of this world, and the Yankees have absolutely no answer for it. None. Judge got one of the few hits last night for the Yankees. They were only held to four, and he scored a run. But he's hitting a buck twenty-five. John Carlos Stan two fifty, Rizzo one sixty-seven, Torres one twenty-five, Donaldson one sixty-seven. They have a killer lineup, but against the Astros, they're no match. Just no match. And Presley once again another three strikeout performance for him to get the save. I mean, if they're handing it off to Ryan, done. Game three of the American League Championship Series between the Astros and the Yankees will be Saturday. You're going to be able to listen to it on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM, 1520 AM. We got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, We'll update the poll question of the day. And how much does the news that broke during the game last night about Christian McCaffrey being traded from the Panthers to the 49ers, how much better does that make San Francisco? And does that mean that everything is now for sale in Carolina? By the way, the Saints lost to the Panthers. The Panthers have fired their coach. They've traded one of their top two wide receivers this week, and they just traded their best player. Yet the Saints still lost to them. Woof. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever? Then text the word Panther, P-A-N-T-H-E-R, to 337-283-8100. That's 337-283-8100. Just text the word Panther on your little phone for a chance to win a spot for two, and we'll let you pick who it is. Let's say, for example, I don't know, Hannah decides if she didn't work here, 
in this scenario. Let's say Hannah decides, I want to go see Black Panther, but I don't want to take my fiance. I don't want to take my mom instead. She can do that. It's up to her. She gets to choose who comes with her. But you got to send the text message to be able to have the chance to get the tickets so you can bring someone to see Black Panther Wakanda forever. It's going to be at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November 10th. Once again, text the word PANTHER to 337-283-8100 to win tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. Poll question of the day. It was good and bad last night. Good. If you're an Astros fan, you got to see them gut out a 3-2 win over the Yankees as the Yankees continue not being able to figure out how to hit the baseball. If you're an Astros slash Saints fan, many of you are both. You took the good, which was the Astros win, and the bad, which is the fact that the Saints lost yet again. And the poll question of the day is inspired by a conversation I have with our good friend, Nick Fondo. Because I texted him during the game. And we went back and forth, and I said, are you ready to give up on the season yet? Because he's teetering a little bit. <laughs> he's like, but he but he holds out hope. He's like, no, nah, man. He says, we're going to get, look, if we just get to three and three. And, you know, they lost last week. And I was like, ah, that's not happening. He's like, if we can just get to, like, you know, get to five and five. Okay, it moves the goalpost a little bit, which I respect because the man is a fan. So we're going back and forth. You know, Thomas is still injured and everything like that. I go, I go, a loss to a bad Raiders team a week from Sunday may be the nail in the coffin for this team, don't you think? And his response is perfect to where the Saints are at right now. My God, Dick Fondo said, we're in the ICU with an IV drip and the doctor has notified the chaplain. Not quite dead yet, but we're close. We're in the ICU with an IV drip and the doctors notified the chaplain. Is a very good way of describing right now the Saints season. They have dropped to two and five. They have the Raiders at home and then Monday night football the following week on November 7th against the Baltimore Ravens. So how close are you to giving up on the Saints season? That's our poll question of the day. 59% of you are already there. 15% say very close. 15% say close. 11% of you are positive. You're not close. You still believe in your team. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. And you can always give us a call on the hotline as well. It's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. Are you ready to give up on the Saints? I'll ask you the poll question. They're two and five. Are you ready to give up on this team seven games into the season? I'm, I'm very close. Very close. There we go. I almost started to watch baseball after... The game started watching when they had the two picks in a row. 
I almost turned the TV off and watched baseball instead. Now, famous Jameis, I keep hearing buzz that he'll be ready to go for the Raiders game. What if you get Jarvis Landry back? You get Michael Thomas back. Right, right now, they're a walking mash unit. What if you get those guys back? What if you get Marshawn Lattimore back? I think some Saints fans are not ready to give up hope yet because they want to see what this team looks like healthy. Mm-hmm. My only counterpoint to that is, what if they don't get healthy? What if Michael Thomas's injury lasts longer than a few games? It's lasted longer than we thought it would, yet again. What if Jarvis Landry can't get back right? What if Marshawn La- This team, I just don't know, man. I just don't know. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on the poll question of the day. That's going to do it for hour number one here in RP3 and Company. Hour number two, we'll shift back to Astros. James Yasko will join us from the Lima Time Time podcast. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Severino set just above the belt, and the one-two. Swing and a three-pointer from way downtown. It's good! Alex Bregman with the long ball. It's 3-0. With two strikes, Bregman pops him. Astros, 3-2 winners over the New York Yankees. They take a 2-0 lead in the ALCS as the series shifts to the Bronx for Game 3 starting on Saturday. Yankees have struck out more than 30 times in two games. The Astros lineup has not been great. Jose Altuve sets a new record for a hitless streak to begin a postseason. Alvarez is really not there either, yet they're finding ways to score enough runs and to beat the Yankees yet again. To talk more about that is the man behind the Lima Time Time podcast. He's also a contributor for the Houston Chronicle. Our good friend James Yasko now joins us here on the show. James, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Freaking exhausted. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. All right, let's start off with the, the, the thing that kind of stands out to me so far in this series. Just how dominant the Astros pitching has been. And not only the starters, but the bullpen. Presley has been a monster. And from start to finish, the Yankees can't buy a hit. Yeah, that's not. I mean, I don't. I don't know that. I mean, yes, that it's. Okay. This man is downplaying the fact that the Yankees struck out seventeen times in Game One. So the the thing is that it's not the most surprising thing. This is a pitching staff that, um, that allowed the fewest runs in a DH in a in a DH era. You know, over the course of a full season. You know, since since like 1973, this it's not terribly surprising. Um, 
Although, you know, I mean, for someone that likes to give us, give, give Astros fans, I said us, I'm, I'm that guy. Um, that likes to give Astros fans, you know, a heart attack every time he comes out. Presley's been great. Uh, somehow Ryan Stanek, who had like a 1.15 ERA, has pitched in one game in out of out of five really close games. Um, but yeah, it's not the most surprising thing in the world. So you're not surprised at all that the Strohs have struck out the Yankees that many times, more than no, 30 times in two games. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an undisciplined team. Uh, they can shave their facial hair as much as they want. They can look like a military unit, uh, they, like a fake SEAL team. The, that's what they can look like. But they're, they're, they don't have any discipline. It's, it's, it's all right. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Strohs lineup. Jose Altuve. I, if you would have told me before the start of the postseason that Altuve would be 0 for forever and that Alvarez would get would go on an 0 for 12 streak after hitting a home run in game two of the ALDS and that this team would still be undefeated in the postseason, I'd, t- I'd call you a liar. I would yeah, call no, you a straight-up liar. The, the, yeah, no, that, that's that's witchcraft. Like, that, that's what that is. The the To be 5-0 and oh, and Altuve doesn't have a hit, you know, from the from the leadoff, like like Mart- when Martin Maldonado is out hitting you, you are having a really bad week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and, what, and what Yuli, think- Yuli Gurriel. That, that's the crazy thing about this, James, is that Altuve has been awful, right, in yep. the plate. Alvarez, after those two home runs, have, has not been much better. Kyle Tucker's been a no-show as well. Yet, they're getting production from Jeremy Pena, from Martin Maldonado, from Yuli Gurriel, who all of a sudden can figure out how to hit after 162 games of not doing so. And Chaz McCormick, it's... The unlikely heroes at the plate for the Strohs in this playoffs, and it's uh, just phenomenal to see. Look, look, Guriel uh, is is getting up there. You know, he's 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 in his late thirties, uh, allegedly, maybe early forties. Yeah, there know, it is. Well, you know, there it is. You, you don't know. Uh, and so he's he's mastered the art of what every every man in his late 30s slash early 40s, you, you show up when when you need to. And and Yuli looked at the beginning of the year and like, we're good. I don't I, I need to say I need to save it up for when it really counts. And and he just he's just come through. So that, that's just that's just smart baseball if you ask me. Just smart baseball. Uh well what are you seeing though with Altuve? Is he just pressing? I don't even think it's that. You know, I think I think in the in the Seattle series, you know, I think there was a little bit of there was a little bit of pressing. Uh, nobody hit in in Game Three, uh, and then in the first couple of games of the Yankees series, he looked really bad. Like there was no, he had no idea where the strike zone was. Um, you know, the so there were there were some at bats where he looked really bad. There were, and then you know, last night he almost he almost got one, and and it was just a great defensive play from from whoever the Yankees second baseman is, you know, that the, a couple of those fall in or, or get through like they've gotten through all year. And it's, it's a little bit different. One thing that hasn't helped Altuve is the incredible inconsistency of the strike zone. Uh, when you're calling, when you're calling pitches that are four or five inches off the plate and you're calling those strikes, uh, you know, Altuve and it, and it, it has a sort of a, a domino effect on everybody else that, that nobody knows what's a ball and what's a strike. And so if it's somewhere close to to the plate, they're going to probably take a hack at it because it's better to maybe try to make something happen than to sit there and get rung up on a on a pitch that's that's just 
a terrible a terrible pitch that was well, a good pitch from the pitcher's perspective but when you're getting when you're fooling the umpire it's it, it makes things a little bit harder so i i just think it's you know his approach has gotten better over the last couple of games but but the results just aren't there yet jeremy pena sure doesn't play like a rookie in his first postseason <laughs> no and and you've got to think that the carlos correa interviewing him uh, Correa was like his heart turned into like a withering tree, uh, you know, over the course of that interview. Uh, the the guy that, yeah, and there had to be a, sort of a point in in the back of Correa's mind that thought, I'll I'll go I'll go Rumspringa, I'll go walk about in Minnesota for a season, and then the Astros I'll opt out, and the Astros will bring me back, and that's probably not going to happen now. Well, well, no, you got a guy that's a rookie of the year candidate and is already a finalist for the gold glove. So I, I think, I think the shows are good. <laughs> yeah, they, no, they, 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 <laughs> I think they're I good. I mean, we all, we all love Carlos Correa, uh, absolute legend. Um, just sort of unlucky that, that you have a guy that easily replaced him that costs about $30 million a year less. Yes. Yes. You're up to nothing. Always a great advantage. But do you have any concerns about the Astros in this series now that the series is shifting to the Bronx? No. Uh, you know, we've seen, you know, time and time again that the Astros can go into a – maybe this is what shakes out two-day loose. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the boos and uh, the OOS. I just want to be very clear what I'm talking about. The, the boos coming from Yankee Stadium, although there will be the, plenty of the other stuff. Uh, with those degenerate fans, the that I mean, Altuve is a concern, but but maybe this is kind of what he needs to get shaken up. So, you know, it there there are some concerns in the lineup, but but they're five and zero. Oh. Like, I think we talked last week about how how nice it would be for Astros fans to have a an easy eleven zero postseason, uh, stress free, and they're halfway there. But every game has been just stressful as. How do you feel about Lance McCullers Jr. likely going to be the starting pitcher on Saturday? You like that? Uh, yeah, no, that's that's I think that's that's totally fine. You know, he went to he went to Seattle, uh, you know, in their their first home playoff game in 20 years, and and through what six shutout innings. Um, the, the, no, this is this is what Lance Lance does the regular season baseball stuff so that he can pitch in these environments. Yeah, he has kind of built one of those. He he reminds me in some ways like Andy Pettit, right? A guy that's just kind of eh, kind of middle middle tier guy during the regular season, but when the postseason happens, he kind of locks it in and and plays his best. That's what kind of McCullers reminds me of, and he does look healthy now too, which is a huge advantage. Let's flip it, James, and look at the other side. How can the Yankees get back in this series? Um. I mean, if they've got Judge, Stanton, Rizzo, um, you know, that the Yankees are a good team. You don't luck into 99 wins. Uh, and so they're a good team. Um, if they start hitting, uh, you know, maybe getting back to Yankee Stadium would, would help them out a little bit with the, you know, the Little League Park that they have up there in the Bronx. Um, yeah, because the judge, the judge hit last night, that would have been a home run at Yankee Stadium, right? And now and Yankee... The only it would have been a home run at Yankee Stadium, and that is the only, only ballpark that it yes. would have been a home run in. Yes, the only ballpark in Major League Baseball where that hit by Judge would have been a home run is Yankee Stadium. The yeah, new Yankee so, Stadium is built just so conveniently. 
Yeah, and can Aaron Boone not whine for one no. second about literally anything? Like, like <laughs> you and I could go co-manage the Yankees and they would win 95 games. Like, that's that's how good that team is. Uh, you and I could probably manage the Yankees and probably get them over the hump and have them win a World Series. Um, yeah, that's true. We're, we're, we're that good. Yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> Just better than Boone. I, I've, ta- I've been telling people... The Yankees have all the talent in the world. They have the pitching and they have the hitting. What I don't trust, and you saw it in game one, is how he mismanaged his bullpen. He doesn't make good decisions. He does not make no, good in-game decisions. He just doesn't. You're absolutely right. Uh, and and so, you know, I think one thing that would really help the Yankees uh, is if they if they fired Aaron Boone and hired, like, maybe Joe Madden. Uh, I think that's the first name that – that popped in my head. Uh, I think Joe Madden would do a better job with the Yankees. So if they do that today, I think, you know, the Yankees have a real shot at, at winning this thing. Imagine if the Yankees had someone like Terry Francona. No, they, they win 110 games. And, they, 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 and they would be completely different. They'd be totally different. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron Boone is a, a moron. Uh, <laughs> and, and I, it's, a, it's actually amazing that he still has a job. Him and Brian Cashman. They give, remember with the trade deadline when, when Brian Cashman, uh, traded for Frankie Montez and and said that it was because he had good numbers against the Astros and then and then Montez comes in in game one and gives up a dinger uh, that, that was so it's just the chef's kiss right right there chef's kiss I just I, I honestly think if if and look I'm not a Yankees fan if they change their skipper that could be the difference in in, in the world for them I, I really do because I look at their I look at their lineup I look at their pitching staff it's one of the best in the game. It all comes down to being a manager and being or having a really good skipper makes all the difference in the world, especially in postseason baseball. And the Yankees, I've been saying it for months, they have a guy that I don't trust and they shouldn't trust. And he holds them back. He just does. And if they're smart this offseason, they're aggressive and they go make a play for somebody else and bring somebody else in that proves that they can win when the spotlight is the brightest because that guy can it has not proved that he can handle it, it's tough being the skipper of the Yankees not everyone yeah. can do it they just can't and uh, Boone's proven that he can't do it I'm just I'm just being honest yeah I'm, no I agree with that um you know some of the decisions that that he'll make over the course of a game uh don't don't make sense like like just like you said like the bullpen management in game one is it's it's just like it's like there's no thought behind it's just vibes like it's just whatever Aaron Boone like feels like he rolls the bones and and whatever whatever the bones say like it's just like voodoo managing is what it feels like from Aaron Boone how many games is this series going to go I said before the start of it James I thought it would go six I could still see that because I do think the Yankees are going to get re-energized being back in the Bronx and they're going to throw Garrett Cole game three, I do believe. So that, yeah, that, that that lines up. Yeah, yeah, that that lines up really well for them. And I, I like I like that matchup for them. And, and Garrett understands postseason pitching. So, what do you think this series is going to go? Do you think the Yankees can still push it to six? You know, it's it's interesting because sort of the you know the first two games you saw you know you saw one and two from the Astros versus is you know what like four and five from the Yankees just because of of the ALDS going five games between New York and Cleveland uh and so now you're sort of at the at the top of the Yankees rotation and you're getting you know McCullers is a two 
on, if not a one on a lot of teams, you know, in, in baseball, but you're still getting, you know, I, I, I think, it, I think it goes five. Uh, one thing that might help the Astros is that, that Saturday's an afternoon game uh, and you don't give, you know, the Yankees fans all day, you know, to sort of sit and stew or, you know, mm. essentially almost 48 hours, you know, cause the off day to day. Um, the earlier game might end up helping the Astros than if you get the Yankees in a primetime, you know, night October playoff matchup. Uh, so I think, I think it goes five, although there's no reason to think that the Astros can't win this thing by Sunday. Uh, but I, I do expect a counterpunch from the Yankees and, and maybe it goes five or six. James, I hope you have a tremendous weekend, my friend. What you got? What you got on tap besides watching the Strohs play baseball on Saturday, Sunday? What else you gonna do? You well, gonna... we're gonna see if if Leeds United's uh, American manager can can stay employed through Sunday uh, after a disastrous game yesterday, uh, and then the rest of the time I'm gonna be selling blood to buy Panini World Cup 2022 stickers. <laughs> You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, that's, that's it's it's so cool. I, I'm so excited. I, I'm I'm not gonna be able to work today. Like I'm just gonna be thinking about. It. There it is. Brother, enjoy your weekend, my friend. Hey, have a good one. Appreciate it. That's Jabe Giasco from the Lehman Time Time podcast, Houston Chronicle contributor. I do expect the Yankees to play probably their best game Saturday. Backs against the wall. Cole's going to be pitching. You're going to be in the Bronx. But to not get the split, and they're just striking out way too much. Like, they just can't figure out the Astros pitching. And I still think this series can go six. I really do. I know the Strohs are up 2 nothing. I still think this series can go six. But they got to win Saturday. you got to win Saturday. If, if the Yankees mess around and lose Saturday, they may get swept. I'm just being honest. Because then after that, you're down 3-0, and then it's, well, well, then you're going to be in your head, and Boone it will start doing, I don't know what, making ridiculous decisions. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, oh, you know what's going to be time for? I mean, yeah, we'll update the poll question of the day because you guys have been killing it with the comments. But it also will be time for Hannah Five Names and yours truly to make our picks for LSU, for UL, for McNeese, the slate of college football. We're going to give you our picks. That's coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadian. And look, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, man caves, she sheds, and more. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right. No muss, no fuss. 
You don't have to worry about the grout lines not looking right. You don't have to worry about the odor that comes after a few years. Don't worry about all that. Make sure to visit Chris and his team's website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford. It's Lafayette, Marble, and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Poll question of the day. How close are you to giving up on the Saints season after they lost last night to the Arizona Cardinals? Two pick sixes. One of them on Andy, the other one not. The other one's on Callaway, but still a wolf-tastic performance by the Hoodats as they fall to two and five. How close are you to giving up on the Saints season? 62% of you say already there. 17% of you say very close. 12% say close and 9% say not close. Some of y'all are keeping out hope. I love it. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now it's time for us to make our weekend picks for the college slate for the teams that you love and we love. <clears throat> one of us was the only one to put to pick LSU last week to go on the road to beat Florida. That, of course, was the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. Yes, it was. I got all the glory on Facebook. <laughs> all the glory on the book of face for making her correct pick. Now, can she roll with it again this week? She won't tell you how she did with the other games. We didn't do very well at all. <laughs> <laughs> we did not do very well at all. But we got an opportunity to get back on track. Let's start with the Tigers. They're taking on undefeated top 10 ranked Ole Miss. Rebels can run the ball very well. The defense is okay, and their quarterback is just okay. Tigers coming off an emotional win at Florida. They look like they got Jane Daniels on track. They look like they got Kayshawn Butte on track. They got Will Campbell back across the offensive line. They're the favorite by one point at home. LSU is. How you been in this game? Uh, I'm going to go back with the home team again. I'm going to go LSU 27, Ole Miss 20. I want a sad George Faust on Monday because his little team lost. <laughs> um, but I just, I think if. Daniel does what he did last weekend, and he does the whole he targeted Butte over and over again. They look like they're building a really good relationship. He's doing really good at finding an open spot, and Daniel's running down the field himself. I think if they do that and keep their running game going in small passes to Butte, I think they can win the game. I like where your head's at. You don't need Jaden Daniels to score six touchdowns. No. He's not going to score six touchdowns again. But I think they found something with their offense. Butte being involved helps. Will Campbell being back across the offensive line helps. They found a running game. Ole Miss is going to be tougher than Florida. But Ole Miss, with the exception of the Kentucky game, they really haven't defeated anyone. I like LSU at home to improve to 6-2 before the bye and before Alabama. I like LSU at home 28-24. Let's go to the other big game, another rivalry game at home, at Cajun Field on Saturday. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns coming off that hard-fought and much-needed win on the road against Marshall. They're welcoming in the Red Wolves of Arkansas State. This is a weird series. You got money on the line on this series between you and your grandma. 
How you bet in this game? What's your score prediction for Cajuns, Wolves? I'm going Cajuns 28, Arkansas State 22, and my grandma would not cover because I'm only giving her four. Take that, Grams. Hannah's coming for your money. I have UL winning as well. I think they found something. They've improved the last three weeks. It finally got to a win. I think they make it two in a row. I like the Raging Cajuns to beat the Red Wolves 27-21 tomorrow. And finally, McNeese. It's a rebuilding project. They're building from the studs up in the Lake Chuck with Gary Goff. That said, they're taking on a Nichols team that is just as bad as them. They're struggling just as much. They struggle to score points. McNeese, Nichols, down in Homa, Thibodeau, what you got? I got McNeese, 21, Nichols, 19. Come on, guys. Get to 2-5. and five. Let's go. I like McNeese to win as well. It's a low-scoring game. It won't be pretty, but Gary Goff's going to get win number two for the Cowboys. McNeese, 20, Nichols, 17. Those are our picks for the weekend slate of the college games that we know and love and you know and love. But we got to take a timeout. We'll talk more about one of those games as we get a preview on UL Arkansas State from Kara Ritchie. She covers the Red Wolves. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. Raging Cajuns, the Arkansas State Red Wolves. When these two teams get together, particularly in football, well, kind of weird things happen. I've been to too many games, whether it's been in Jonesboro or down here in Lafayette, to see when these two teams take the field, no matter what the records are, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be filled with drama. Last year's game was no exception when the Cajuns struggled to get out of Jonesboro with a win. The two teams will face off this Saturday at Cajun Field. Cajuns coming off a much-needed win on the road at Marshall. Hard-fart victory. They're going to look to make it two in a row and to get above 500 for the season. To give us a little insight about what the Red Wolves are bringing to the table tomorrow in Cajun Field is the host of Workday Red Zone on the ticket radio, noon to 2, Monday through Friday. She's also the host of the pregame show on Arkansas State Game Days on 107.9 KFIN. Kara Ritchie now joins us. Kara, good morning. Thank you for making the time. Hey, thanks so much for the invite. Uh, really looking forward to Saturday. Uh, these games tend to tend to never disappoint in terms of the drama. There's always something. It's always messy. There's always something that goes on when these two teams face. And I, I, I never really understand it because it, it's developed in such a good rivalry. And even when one team is really good, Kara, like when the cages have been the last few years, even when Arkansas State is down, it doesn't matter. It's as if Arkansas State plays its best game and the Cajuns play their worst game and have to escape to get the W. Yeah, you go back and you look at how these games have unfolded over the past couple of years, and I, I can really only think of a, a, a couple of blowouts despite the fact that there have been teams that have been on paper you know, a significant favorite. I mean, you go back to last year, Arkansas State was really, really struggling, and of course, the Cajuns midway through one of their best seasons in program history, if not the best. And it, it ended with, you know, Arkansas State being unable to get the Cajuns off the field, um, but but still just a one-point differential there between the two teams. So 
Uh, we've seen we've seen close ones more often than not, and I'm just waiting to see what the latest installment's going to bring in. Tell me a little bit about the quarterback that Butch Jones has finally found. It seems like there's some stability there, and it seems like he's got his guy to run the offense. Yeah, James Blackman has been um, a really great guy to watch kind of grow over the past few years. He started his career at Florida State and had just a lot of, I guess, uncertainty there um, in terms of his career. I think he played for three different head coaches. So, of course, that means he played for multiple different offensive coordinators and play callers and quarterbacks coaches and all of that, and uh, decided to transfer to Arkansas State prior to last year. And he was in a quarterback battle there with Lane Hatcher. Uh, we saw both guys get play a significant amount of time. Then he got hurt. And you flash forward to this offseason, and for the first time in his career, he was getting to play back-to-back seasons under the same offensive coordinator. And for the first time in his career, he walked into the offseason knowing that this job was his. Yes, there's some guys that push him in that quarterback room, but uh, since the season ended in in 2021, everybody knew that this was going to be James Blackman's job. So we've seen his confidence. We've seen his mentality. We've seen his execution all grow and get better this year. And uh, what's interesting to me is in the beginning of of James Blackman's career, I kind of always thought of him as a little bit more of a, a gunslinger. He's got a great, great, great arm. But this year, it's been a little bit more of a methodical and business-like offense for a state. And we haven't seen him uh, flee it down the field as, as much as maybe I, I thought we would this year. But at the same time, I mean, the completion percentage, the numbers, everything, very, very good for JB. And he has not made mistakes this year in terms of interception. So uh, it's been great to see how he's developed throughout his time at Arkansas State. What about the rest of the offense? How do you fare at What kind of grade would you give it right now halfway through the season? has been a work in progress. Uh, This is an offense that wants to run the ball and wants to be balanced, and it hasn't quite been able to do that. And a lot of that is health and inexperience along the line. Uh, For for back-to-back seasons now, Arkansas State has lost right tackle Robert Holmes due to a knee injury very early in the season. I think last year it was game four, and this year it was game three that he went down. And so right now Arkansas State has two redshirt freshmen at its tackle spot. Um, including, of course, the, the super crucial left tackle. There's a, a redshirt sophomore at center. Um, there's a guy at, at left guard that um, is playing his first year of SBS football. So the talent is there, but the experience is not. Also, Arkansas State has played, uh, they have one of the latest bye weeks in the country. So right now you're not able to get these guys off the field for a week to do a little bit of just um, just kind of let them recharge and reset and, and get healthy. Uh, so, This is a line that's kind of um, ailing and still a little bit of a work in progress. And, of course, as the line goes, the rest of the offense goes. So uh, when it's early in the game and when this this offense is able to hold their blocks and protect James Blackman and open up some holes, you've you've seen great things happen. And lately down the stretch, the fourth quarters have been kind of tough. Uh, There are some good playmakers in the run game. You guys will see a lot of Brian Snead and Johnny Lang, who does everything, uh, rushing, receiving, and kickoff returns for eight days. But if, if there's one player to watch on offense not named James Blackman, it's going to be tied into Sadu Treore, uh, just a true sophomore. And goodness gracious, it seems like he gets better every single week. He's going to make a couple highlight grabs on Saturday. What's been the big difference in the wins when they beat ULM compared to, say, when they lost to Old Dominion or James Madison or even Southern Miss? What's been the determining factor? 
Well, it's been how the team has closed out. Um, you look at uh, not so much the wins, but you look at the three losses um, that, that could have easily been wins. Those were Memphis, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss. And this, it, if it could go wrong in the fourth quarter, it's, it's gone wrong. Um, I flashback to Saturday in Hattiesburg, and uh, Arkansas State had a 19-7 lead after three quarters. And you get to the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden uh, the team cannot run the ball. Uh, the team allows multiple sacks in the fourth quarter. The team commits four penalties in the fourth quarter. Uh, a usually um, incredibly, incredibly sound special teams unit has a delay of game that moves um, the field goal out of uh, that moves the, the team out of field goal range, and then you've got uh, you allow the biggest punt return that you've allowed all season. The defense all of a sudden is unable to stop the run. It just it's it's like some kind of crazy switch gets flipped in the third, and and all of a sudden the fourth quarter becomes a struggle. Uh, Arkansas State is probably about four or five plays away from being five and two this season, but as you guys know, they're they're two and five. So uh, it's just a question of of how do you kind of get over that fourth quarter hump until you get over that fourth quarter hump and they haven't found the answer yet we're talking with Kara Ritchie she's the host of Workday Red Zone on the ticket radio from noon to two Monday through Friday she's also the pregame host for Arkansas State Game Days on 107.9 KFIN she joins us here on RP3 and company Kara let's talk about the defense when I take a glance I see a team that gives up some yardage and has given up some points not only to the likes of Ohio State but also to Old Dominion Memphis and others, but sometimes numbers, stats can lie. Do they lie in this case? This defense is a little bit of a work in progress. Um, and uh, I think the thing to remember about this defense is it was it was statistically one of the worst units in all of college football in, in 2021. So I think the goal this year was not for A-State to have a great offense or maybe not even a good or an average offense, or excuse me, defense, but just a defense that took a big step forward from last year. And, and they have. So you're kind of looking at the defense on a curve if you're, if you're looking through um, scarlet-colored lenses. And that unit has shown tremendous, tremendous growth now. Uh, there's still some areas where they need to get better, and that is um, against uh, explosive plays, which was the Achilles heel last year. And then this is also a defensive unit that's really struggled to force takeaways this year. There's not many teams that have recorded fewer takeaways than A-State has. They did have a pair of interceptions last week against Southern Miss, so maybe that's something they can build on there. But but it's been a struggle to have those game-changing plays on defense. It's a better unit than last year by, by a ton but uh, there's still a lot of work to do on that side of the ball. Butch Jones came to Arkansas State two years ago, having successfully completed the Nick Saban coaching rehab assignment there at Alabama, (laughs) which is, you know, had a great success for a lot of other coaches. Uh, Steve Scarzese and Lane Kiffin come to mind, among others. What have you noticed covering Butch, talking to Butch, and how he runs this program? And what do you think of the job he's done so far? Take away wins and losses but just how he's running the program. I, I like what I see in terms of recruiting. Recruiting is phenomenal in terms of the guys he's been able to bring in. Went out last year and brought in the highest-ranked class in the Sun Belt despite coming off of a two-win season. So this is a staff that eats, eats breathes, sleeps recruiting, and they've been able to get some, some great guys uh, to, to come into Jonesboro. I like the attention to detail um, from this staff and from, of course, that starts at the top. It's, it's a little bit of a 180 from the previous staff in terms of 
just how different things are addressed. And I think one of the places that you see that actually manifest the most on the field is, is with special teams where that unit um, from top to bottom, everything involved is just phenomenal. Um, and that's because of the amount of, of focus they put into it. Um, I, I feel like the, the culture is different, uh, which that's such a, a vague thing. And culture gets thrown around so much in college football, but I feel like it's, it's stronger. The mentality is stronger. So I, I like what I see. Um, sometimes, though, it is just hard to be patient with a, a rebuild, which is what Arkansas State is going through. This is a very, very young team, um, and that's something I think the fan base is struggling with just a little bit right now. You can see you can see the growth, but it has not shown up in the win column yet. A win tomorrow would go a long way of turning things around, not only the season, but kind of starting to have the program itself turn a corner. So how big is Saturday's game here in Lafayette for the Red Wolves and for Butch Jones? I mean, massive. Uh, you know, a bowl game, in terms of expectations of a bowl game at the beginning of the season, I'm not sure a lot of fans thought that might be realistically possible coming off of a two-win season. But, I mean, A-State's going to have to win four uh, out of the next five if, if they want to go bowling. So obviously that would include Saturday. So that's the, the 2022 picture. The big picture I flash back to all the way to, to 2011 for a quick story here, and that was when Hugh Freeze was the coach at Arkansas State. There was a game that season where Arkansas State went and got a road win at Western Kentucky, and you can legitimately make the case that not only did that win, that confidence boost, boost the team for the rest of the season, but it ultimately kind of changed the fate of Arkansas State football for the next five years. Uh, so A-State is looking for that game. They are looking for that confidence boost. They're looking for that road win. And so if you're able to go out, uh, this Red Wolves football team, and, and accomplish that on Saturday, I don't know I don't know how huge it could be. It could potentially be program-changing. Kara, appreciate you, Tom. Great stuff. Can't wait to have you back on again for basketball season and baseball and softball as the two teams will face off in all of those sports. Thank you so much for your time. And tell the people, if you don't mind, where they can follow you and where they can uh, check out all your great work. Sure. I am. Uh, I spend entirely too much time on Twitter. I'm at Tara underscore Richie. That's the best place to follow along. And uh, I, uh, I tweet early and often. So uh, head there and, and uh, keep me entertained during this one on Saturday. Don't feel bad. Everyone spends too much on time on Twitter. So <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not the only one. Kara, appreciate the time once again. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for having me. That's Kara Ritchie. She's the host of Workday Red Zone on the Ticket Radio weekdays, noon to 2. And she's also the pregame host for Arkansas State Game Days on 107.9 KFIN. Cajuns, Red Wolves, tomorrow in Cajun Field. It should be a good one. While you watch the Louisiana Raging Cajuns hopefully cook up a win on Saturday, don't forget that it's time to cook up some gumbo for a very good cause. The Realtor Association of Acadiana is hosting its annual gumbo kickoff at Park International this coming Wednesday from 5 to 7 o'clock. The family-friendly event features a Halloween costume contest, music by the Rouge Crew, and, of course, great gumbo from 26 different teams of area realtors who are competing to earn the title of Best Gumbo. Tickets cost only 10 bucks. that's it, and can be purchased with cash at the event. All proceeds benefit three local charities in Acadiana, Maddie's Footprints, Habitat for Humanity, and Lane's Legacy. So come out and eat some gumbo, help out local charities, and have some Halloween fun with the Realtor Association of Acadiana's annual gumbo cook-off 
this coming Wednesday. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up hour number two here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Hour number two is coming to a close. Coming up next hour, we're jam-packed. Chrissy Freud, college football reporter. She's going to help us preview Ole Miss LSU. That's how we're going to kick off hour number three. Zach Miller, our fantasy football guru, will be joining us to give us his thoughts on sits and starts and guys that you need to be picking up and does the Christian McCaffrey trade from Carolina to San Francisco, whew, does that change how you feel not only about McCaffrey, but maybe Debo Samuel about the 49ers in general? And then Ryan Hinton, Dat Boy Wolf from the Saints Twitter podcast will join us for the Big Easy Blitz as we try to figure out what exactly is wrong with the Saints. Oh, there's so much wrong with the Saints. So, poll question of the day. How close are you to giving up on the Saints season? How close are you? They're now two and five, and things are starting to come off the rails a little bit here. How close are you to giving up on the Saints season? 62% of you are already there giving up. 17% say very close. 11% say not close. 10% say close. JPK the OD says never. The rest of our division sucks. Still time to write the ship. Even if it's a medicine season, you'll still have to ride with your boys. Free to throw yourself off the bandwagon. And remember, it could be worse. Could be a Redskins, the team, slash Commanders fan like RP3. You're exactly correct. As bad as the Saints are right now, at least you're not the team owned by Daniel Snyder. Just... That can be like a warm, comforting blanket, Saints fan. You're thinking to yourself, man, this season just really sucks. Not to worry. It could be worse. You could be a Commanders fan. Just remember that. Just remember that. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Just remember that. Ralph Bergeron says, this team is a train wreck under Dennis Allen. Tell his QB to keep doing the same thing after two pick sixes and said his defense played well in the postgame presser. Kevin James replaced Sean Payton better than D.A. did. Ooh, that's salty. That's a salty, salty comment. Of course, talking about another train wreck, Kevin James playing Sean Payton in that awful, awful movie about Sean Payton's season during Bounty Gate. Dak Cajun says, didn't like the Dennis Allen hire from the beginning. He was 8-28 and 28 in Oakland, and everyone said it was because of management and the quality team. Paper bag is bedazzled and ready to go. Stan got fired after one year as the Pelicans head man. Don't think it won't happen to him. Here's the thing, Darren, the Bensons, whether it was Tom or now Gale, since they have owned the New Orleans Saints, they have never fired a coach after one season. Never. They let Mike Ditka coach for three years, and he tried to bury the franchise. They're not going to fire Dennis Allen after one season. just won't happen. 
Doug says too many players out. It's like an uh, epidemic, and let's not forget coaching decisions that make you shake your head. But hey, we'll all look at the film and fix it. Come on, twenty twenty three. Who that forever says heck of a career for Mickey Loomis. Time to step down. And Darren then comes, come on and hop on this train. Jets, 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 Jets. And Jets look good, man. Jets look good. We got to take a timeout. Hour number two now in the books. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Chrissy Freud talking college football. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The final hour of today's show, which means it's the final hour of the week. And we're going to finish strong coming up in half an hour for the Big Easy Blitz. Ryan Hinton will join us from the Saints Twitter podcast to answer our poll question of the day. Are you ready to give up on the Saints this season now that they dropped to 2-5 and five after last night's loss to the Arizona Cardinals? You can keep voting on that poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Let's not get sideways this morning. Come on. Come on now. Let's not do that. We'll also have fantasy football advice coming up for you in about 20 minutes when our fantasy football expert, Zach Miller, will be joining us here. But right now it's time for us to talk college football with one of the best reporters and voices about college football out there. Chrissy Freud joins us now. Chrissy, good morning to you. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm intrigued, thoroughly intrigued by this LSU Ole Miss game, not only because of the point spread has shifted a little bit on this. I I view it as interesting because you have Ole Miss known for its head coach being an offensive guru who now runs the football like a service academy and has a quarterback that he's still trying to develop. And then we have LSU, who has been somewhat sporadic this season. They're coming off a great win in the Swamp against Florida, but they still have question marks about their team. I think this is going to be one of the best games of the weekend. What about you? Yeah, I think so. And it's weird because I think that there's a lot of people split on whether or not this could be complete domination by Ole Miss or if this is going to be a game that's going to be a lot closer than people expected. But I think that uh, watching the way that Auburn was able to have a resurgence against Ole Miss whenever Ole Miss pulled away early, um, it just kind of demonstrates how this team can still play, I guess, the lesser SEC opponents more closely than we thought. Because, I mean, I thought that the Auburn game was going to be a blowout and Ole Miss's end, but there was still – Despite how well that offense runs, there are still some defensive questions. And as you mentioned with LSU, the team that's been very sporadic, very up and down, and sometimes looks completely different uh, from game to game. I thought that LSU made a lot of strides against Florida, but Florida's also been questionable itself. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. But I think it's going to be kind of like the situation with Auburn, where it's a lot closer than people thought that maybe it might be. 
Yeah, I, I expect it to be a close game. I, I really do. And you look at Ole Miss's schedule, and they played one really good team in Kentucky. Uh, some other teams not quite there yet, and really the difficult part of their schedule kind of begins today on the back end of their season. They still got to play Mississippi State. They still got to play Alabama as well. What do you make of what Lane Kiffin's done this year with not right now a top-flight quarterback, a guy that he's still trying to develop? What do you make of the way he's adjusted his offensive play calling? Yeah, I think that it it looks a lot different from last year, that's for sure. But I think as far as the whole score from far elements go that we saw last year, that was the Ole Miss offense. We're starting to see uh, the emergence of some of that again. It's still taking some time for Jackson Dart to develop. I think that this is as I've said before, it's the quarterback with a high ceiling, but also just a really small sample size. So that he's still got to be given some time. But I mean, we've seen how the passing game can open up with just a couple games ago, whenever Jackson Dart passed for almost 450 yards and they've, they had Jonathan Mingo with nearly 250 receiving yards. Malik Heath, uh, the Mississippi state transfer is another guy who has met the century mark as well. So we're seeing, uh, this this passing offense open up more, and I think that's going to become more of an element moving forward. But uh, Ole Miss has the number three rushing offense in the nation and the best in the SEC. So I think um, the Rebels have found that that's something that works for them, and I think you've got to play to your strengths. And so I think um, we're seeing a more versatile opened-up offense as time goes on. Um, it's just taking some time because of the development of the quarterback and things like that. But, I mean, whenever you have a rushing attack that's, that dominant that no one's been able to truly put to rest yet. Um, I think that that's something that you go with. I thought their defense had made some strides and I was surprised how good they were playing. And then the last two or three games, it's kind of been, I don't want to say exposed Chrissy, but there's been some chinks in the armor, right? Uh, How good is this defense really for Ole Miss? I think I, I would say mid at this point. Um, I think it's just a matter of consistency. This is a defense that's not consistent. This is a defense that has consistently tackled badly for the past two games. Um, and I think that, that Lane Kiffin has not been happy about that. And it was a very, uh, very aggressive comment about how uh, he didn't have a run defense within eight miles of the Auburn Stadium. So I think that as far as limiting explosive plays, that's a big deal. Uh, tackling better. Is something they've got to get. They've got to get better at just playing more consistently. I mean, they can come in the clutch at times. I mean, those two forced fumbles and the recoveries against Kentucky are what ultimately allowed uh, them to win that game, which was very close. I mean, Kentucky had the potential to score twice, and the final score could have looked a lot different um, if it was not for those really big defensive plays there within the final three minutes of the game. But I mean, outside of that, looking at this defense overall. Uh, just kind of middle of the pack and certainly some fixing to do. And Lane Kibbett's been very vocal about that. Let's switch gears and talk about the LSU Tigers because it's been a bit of a roller coaster as it typically is in year one of a coach taking over a program, especially a guy taking over a program that was in the state of condition that the LSU program was. I do like what I'm seeing from the Tigers in that game against Florida because they did a couple things. They were able to run the football with former walk-on Josh Williams. And, you know, we focus on Daniels in his six touchdowns, and that was a great performance. But it seems like him and Kayshawn Butte, they're finally on the same page, Chrissy. It it seems like 
They finally got enough reps in. They've been practicing. They've been working together. And I think that showed, even though he didn't score a touchdown, I thought it he stepped up in a big way the last couple of weeks. You start seeing him imp- implement more in someone in the Tennessee game, but really last week against Florida. Yeah, I think so. I think Jaden Daniels has progressed a lot. I think at first we saw some struggles with him as a passer. I think that there's still some things uh, to do. But overall, I think this is a quarterback who's really come together on both fronts. And Like I said at the beginning of the year, um, a lot of my issue with him had to do with it seemed like he was bailing out of the pocket too early at times and just had some deficiencies as a passer. But, I mean, you look at, like you mentioned, the things about LSU is that this is a team that's undergone a lot of shifts. And I think that people kind of discount the fact that whenever you have any type of transition, I don't really care how good you are, whenever you're moving around a lot of pieces and have a new coach and everything, it's going to take time and it's not going to be overnight. And there's always a really high chance um, that that first season is not going to be much of anything to write home about. And so I think that LSU did show some good things against Florida. And I think that what what it's going to have to do um, in this game is really bring bring the pass rush and outlast um, a Rebels team that has shown that, at least in the last game, that it could score early and and that it can do well, obviously, on, on the rushing attack and things like that. The defense for LSU, you mentioned the pass rush. that They get after the quarterback. They have future NFL prospects right there, right? You got guys that are going to be drafted first round, second round, third round in this next, uh, next year's draft. Linebackers, okay. The secondary is the, still the big question mark, right? Because you got a lot of guys back there that – haven't had to deal with the gauntlet that is the SEC schedule and playing against that level of competition. Is that still the weak area for you for this LSU football team's defense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're so used to LSU having such a dominant defense and being known as DBU, so it's kind of weird uh, to be saying that right now. But, yeah, I think that what it's going to come down to is that they're going to have to force Jackson Dart into some bad decisions, which, I mean, he's had – He's had games where he's had a couple of really, really bad uh, misfires, which could determine the outcome of this game if it does come down uh, to be close. So I think that that's probably the biggest strength of the LSU defense, uh, the linebacking core and bringing the pass rush and could be a deciding factor um, in this. But they're also going to have to bring the run defense because I kind of have a feeling that maybe um, in this game that they're gonna ha- they may have to lean more into the run game depending on how Jackson Dart handles things. So who do you like in this game? It feels like a coin flip game to me, Chrissy, but who do you like? I think Ole Miss is a better all-around team, and I think that despite the fact that the strength of schedule has not been um, anything impeccable to this point, I think that they're just the more consistent, better put-together overall team as compared to LSU, which has been, like like we said earlier, so sporadic and so um, up and down, just kind of touch and go is how I would describe it. We're talking with Chrissy Freud. She covers college football. I want to talk Mississippi State, Alabama, because – I've said for a while now, and I saw it last season, and it's carried over to this year. Alabama is very vulnerable, and I, and I know they lost to Tennessee, and in spite of Bryce Young's best efforts. But when I watch Alabama play, Chrissy, there's things that stand out to me. They don't win the point of attack, right? They're not the most physical team across the offensive line and the defensive line. And the back end of the defense is not your vintage Alabama secondary. We talked about LSU just moments ago, and I feel like Alabama's in the same in the same mold right now. And they lead the conference in penalties. Like they are sloppy. They are undisciplined. 
and they lack some physicality. It started last year. It's carried over to this year. How surprised are you by that, by a Nick Saban coach team, that you're seeing these type of issues with Alabama? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of causing some concern because I, there's a lot of people out there, including Paul Feinbaum, that have recently said that Alabama um, – I mean, you, you almost want to whisper it, but it lo- almost looks like a badly coached team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that it's it's like, like you said, as far as the penalties go, that they are playing floppy football, and we're used to Alabama being this very clean, prestigious team that is dominant on every single front. You come into the game and you expect to lose, and you just hope that you keep it close. <laughs> uh, that's not the case anymore, and I think that um, – They've shown that, they, that they've allowed explosive plays against some teams. I think that the Tennessee offense obviously had absolutely no issue putting up 52 points on this team, uh, which is something that I don't think anyone would have drawn up a couple of years ago. So I think that there are, there are teams that have figured out how to throw off that defense. I think that that defense is not nearly um, as dominant as it used to be. Um, and I, I think that just overall this is, and I've, I started saying this last year, perhaps the beginning of the downfall of Alabama, and I'm not saying necessarily the downfall is that this is going to be a bad team or it's going to be a middle-of-the-road team, but it's not. I think we're moving away from the Alabama that everyone that everyone knew, and we're witnessing, I think, one of the biggest shakeups um, across the SEC that we've seen in recent history because it seems now that uh, this thing's busted wide open as far as who's going to be the leader. There are people that are predicting that Ole Miss will win the national championship. There are people that are predicting that Tennessee might have a chance. Uh, Georgia's still largely considered the top dog across the SEC. But, yeah, I think um, this is an Alabama team that's not playing very clean football and is just not incredibly dominant on on all cylinders. And that now we see that even though Bryce Young was probably still playing banged up in this game, that even with him, that this is not a team that – because that was kind of the question with Texas A&M. It was like, okay, well, they had Jalen Milrow in there. So maybe that's, that's going to be the determining factor, like the fact that they played – Texas A&M that that closely is not a big deal because it's that quarterback, and then they come in and they lose to Tennessee like that. And then you think about the Texas game at the beginning of the year, too. I mean, this is an Alabama team that it really could have come pretty close to being a three-loss team at this point. And Anderson does not take over games either. That's a, that's a, another Mm-mm. curious part about uh, him. I mean, he looked like the best player in college football last year, and he has not looked that way this season. Um, they're taking on Mississippi State. I like Mike Leach. I like what he's doing there. Uh, they're catching Bama at a bad time, it feels like. That's typically what happens after Bama suffers a tough loss. They take it out on the, the team the next week. What do you make of this matchup between the Bulldogs and the Crimson Tide? Yeah, I think it could come down to be a lot closer, but I think that Mississippi State has also some of its issues began to show in the last game against Kentucky. I think that one of the biggest things was there toward the end. That that was a team, too, that also had a, a season high in penalties in that game. So that And Mike Leach said that they were playing frantic, that they were playing sloppy, and it just was simply not good football. And I think that was the case there. So I think that Mississippi State has shown whenever it, whenever it really gets rolling uh, with the style of the air raid that it's playing now, that it's pretty much unstoppable. And this defense, is, is especially with the guys like Emmanuel Forbes, has proven just how vicious it can be, and I think we've seen that in a lot of home games. But I think that these are two teams that have some things to clean up. I think this is going to serve as a pretty good measuring stick. But at the same time, um, Alabama has had Mississippi State's number in, the, in recent meetings. It's been a while since Mississippi State's even scored a touchdown on Alabama. 
So I think that it, it – but then again, I mean, we look at history and we look at now, and this Alabama team does seem to be a declining. So I think that this is a year that Mississippi State does break through. I don't have Mississippi State winning this game, but I do think it could be a lot closer than some people might anticipate. Before I let you go, I want to ask you about a team here in the state of Louisiana that is having a tremendous season. That's the Tulane Green Wave, and you've been reporting on them and covering them this year, Chrissy. And, you know, there was some, I don't know, uh, slight rumblings about people not being happy with, you know, uh, Willie Fritz and that, you know, had his time come, had the expiration date come for him at Tulane. And they're having a tremendous season ranked in the top 25. When you watch this team play, they got a big game against Memphis this weekend. What are they doing so well? I think it's just playing really good complementary football is the way that I look at it. And we're watching uh, this this offense, and then in some games they were doing really, really well on the passing attack, and there wasn't a whole lot going on in the run game. And in other games they are pretty much leaning entirely into Tajay Spears, and I think that we're seeing uh, the run complement the pass in a way that Michael Pratt told me that he was really looking forward to seeing uh, within the offense. And so I think – that that offense is growing it has shown that it it can be dominant in every single way in addition to having one of the best defenses in the in the nation and one of the best passing defenses in the nation and they had the they had the best passing defense in the nation uh, there for a while and i think there's multiple nfl prospects um within that defense and so i think that they have shown that they can like i said i think it just comes down to playing really good complementary football and then there's a lot of games this season so far that this team was expected to lose and they thought that they had no chance and double-digit underdogs and some of them and came out with the win so I think I think Tulane has proven that it can contend with pretty much anybody and should be taken seriously to win the conference championship in my opinion and they if they do that Chrissy they have a very good chance of being the highest ranked group of five team which means they'll be playing in the Cotton Bowl the Tulane Green Wave in the Cotton Bowl which is amazing thing for that program so it is uh, unbelievable. Chrissy, thank you so much. Tell the people where they can follow you on social media and where they can go to read all your great work. Yeah, it's Chrissy underscore Freud on Twitter, and then I run the Mississippi State site on Sports Illustrated and then do some NFL draft coverage there, and then Saturday Down South doing a lot of SEC stuff there as well. Chrissy, appreciate your time. Enjoy your weekend. Absolutely. Thank you. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up, though. Fantasy football talk with Zach Miller. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19, hit me. 20, hit me. 21, hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one. I'm joined by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. She's killing it today. Running the ones and twos, manning the phone lines, getting the guest on, 
producing spots, rocking her UL red. She's ready to go. She's ready to cheer on the Cajuns to victory this weekend while taking mama, taking money from her grandma, which she's done for years and proudly <laughs> brags about it as well. And she's feeling generous. She told me during the timeout that she's going to lay down on her sword so our next guest can finally get a win in the RP3 and Company League. It's our fantasy football expert. He's killing it in other leagues, just not this one, because he wants all of you in the league to do well. Man's all about sacrifice. It's Zach Miller joining us now. Zach, good morning, bud. How are you? I'm doing good, brother. How are you? I mean, that's what you're doing, right? You're making sure to lose so that way everyone can taste victory. You're just being generous. Like, you're like, oh, look, I'm a champion. I'm I'm big time. I want these other people, the, the little people, to feel good about themselves with fantasy football. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, as it turns out, apparently my whoever I'm playing has their best game of the season because – I have been outscored by a large margin this season. So not only am I expecting to lose, but I'm going to lose gloriously. Well, you're facing Hannah this week, and she had Chris Olave on the bench. So advantage you, my friend. Yeah, I mean, unless she benches all of her other players too. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> my man my man says unless she benches all of her other players i think she's still good hey i want to talk about the christian mccaffrey trade because you know robbie anderson really doesn't move the needle but the panthers moving mccaffrey to the 49ers last night for like a second round a third round and a fourth and a fifth rounder changes how we kind of view the 49ers now right because but it also helps us change how we approach them when it comes to fantasy. Does this make now Jimmy G more valuable? Does this take away uh, points away from Debo Samuel? Uh, What does that do for Elijah Mitchell owners? How much of an impact is this going to make on the 49ers, and how much of an impact is it going to make on fantasy football? Um, Huge. Um, Huge impact, actually. Um, Yes, uh, I think a lot of what you said, it's going to probably mean that Debo's going to play just more traditional wide receiver role which a lot of his value is based on the fact that they use him as a, you know, a do-everything kind of guy, um, which he, you know, expressed that he wanted to, you know, just be a wide receiver. He didn't want as many carries, but they um, were utilizing him as they saw fit. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely going to impact that. I think it, it may uh, – how it affects Jimmy G, we, we don't know. They, we know that their goal is to run the ball as much as possible, so um, the less they have to run it, the better. Um, but this week they're going against the Chiefs, um, and they have a good defense, but I suspect Jimmy G is going to have to throw it some to be able to keep up, uh, and we don't know how quickly he'll be up to speed in the playbook either. So uh, at least in the first week he may still have a little bit of a learning curve until he can pick up on the offense. So, yeah, it's a very interesting question. If you're in need of a quarterback these days, let's say you got Russell Wilson and he's been awful he has yep. been he's just been dreadful he looks yep. a completely washed or you got I don't know Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston or whoever they're going to throw out there for the Saints or you know you're having to deal with you know injuries to Carson Wentz who are your kind of your go-tos of pickups this week for quarterbacks 
Um, assuming that Matt Ryan is available in some leagues, which he, he may be, um, I think a, a lot of people may have dropped him or he wasn't drafted at all, depending on your particular league. Um, but it looks like the offensive line is finally starting to give him some protection uh, and they're getting the running game going. And he's just, uh, he's actually starting to look like what they expected they were going to get. Um, also, Daniel Jones uh, may be available. Uh, kind of a poor man's Josh Allen runs the ball a little bit, can throw the ball a little bit, and he's finally starting to get some of his wide receivers healthy there as well. So if you're talking about a bargain person, you might be able to match off all the waivers. Uh, Daniel Jones may, may fit that bill in your league. Uh, I can't believe I'm actually asking this. What about Marcus Mariota? Because he's actually playing kind of okay, right? And especially for fantasy terms, right? Yeah, if we're talking fantasy, yeah, he's again, he, he's somebody who's going to get you points running the ball. Uh, he's had his best fantasy games when you know when his team was playing bad because you know he, <laughs> they had to rely on him to actually score some points. Um, it hasn't boded well for the Atlanta Falcons winning many games, but um, it does bode well for fantasy purposes. Yeah, absolutely. Garbage time points count just as much. Yeah, this isn't a real game. This is fantasy is what we're talking about. All right, brother, uh, wide receivers, some movement. There's a lot of buzz about Odell Beckham Jr. maybe signing someplace. Do you get proactive and just go ahead and pick him up no matter where he goes, or do you hold off on that? If He's worth a stash because uh, as of right now, he's still injured. Um, so it's very possible that you can pick him up stash him in your IR slot, and then still pick up another position and drop drop a player when the time comes to put him on your active roster. So, yeah, absolutely, he's worth a roster spot. All right, bud, give me a guy that if you have him still available in your league, doesn't matter what position he is, some buzz, definitely kind of a sleeper guy for guys to go out there, pick up, and add to their teams. Uh, if you haven't picked him up already, Brian Robinson Jr., uh, he is the commander's RB1. Uh, he had a very – they, they brought him on slowly in week one. Week two, he took on a little bit more of a lead-back role, and I just expect his, his carries to increase as time goes on. Um, that's, he's, a, he's a very good pickup. Jamal Williams um, is the, the lead-back right there, but uh, Swift is coming back from injury, so I expect that, that situation to um, be more of a – back situation in the beginning so all right brother i hope you well you know i wish you well for this weekend and you know what hannah is trying to take one for the team she benched chris olave on purpose because she felt bad for you would you like to respond to her act of charity uh it's much appreciated uh, I, I do appreciate it thank you sir thank you ma'am <laughs> <laughs> Zach, I appreciate your time, brother. Have a tremendous weekend, bud. <laughs> Thank you, bro. That's Zach Miller, our fantasy football. Yeah, I had to get him on for McCaffrey because that's a game changer, right? Yeah, that can makes that can makes Jimmy G a lot more valuable now because he's going to have someone to throw the ball to. Debo Samuel, more weapons that may make Jimmy G a little bit more attractive, if you will. Got to take a timeout. When we return. Be time for New Orleans Saints talk. Big Easy Blitz. Ryan Henson, you know him as Dat Boy Wolf. Saints Twitter podcast host is going to join us. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through. Spins at the two. Into the end. 
zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. You know him as Dat Boy Wolf on Twitter. He's the co-host of the Saints Twitter podcast. Ryan Hinton joins us now for the Big Easy Blitz. Brother, good morning, or I guess it's good as it can be after what happened last night. How you doing this morning? Let's just start there. Man, I'm doing fantastic. How you doing, man? I can't. You can't let the Saints get you down. Not this season. <laughs> um. After last night's loss, they, it drops them to two and five. Technically, they're not out of anything because the NFC is kind of trash right now with three yeah. divisions featuring only one team with a winning record. So, still a lot of football left, but, man, it sure does feel like the season's getting away from them in a hurry. Uh, is it time to give up hope on the Saints, yes or no? Um, Look, I guess you can't ever just really give up hope. It's still, it is still early. Um, but when you're talking about playoffs, playoffs, I mean, <laughs> it's very, it's a, I think about what, like a 13% chance of them making the playoffs now, something like that. It's very slim. Right now, the focus really needs to be just looking like a, like a good team. I've yet to see them play one full game where they just look good all game. You know what I'm saying? That's really what they need to focus on and, you know, they, I mean, it, it, it only gets harder for me. You got the Raiders coming up, then you got the Ravens. And, you know, losing last night really sucked because, you know, Arizona was reeling, man. They they were not a good team going into this game. This was one of the ones you kind of had to get out the way and knock out. That way you could start stacking some wins and maybe you had a chance. But, you know, it only gets harder from here. How surprised are you? that the defense has regressed on this team with their former defensive coordinator now as their head coach? You know, I'm a little surprised, but not too much surprised because, you know, I talked about it on a podcast um, this coming off season. Um, usually, you know, what happens is these defensive coordinators, they move the head coach, and thing is they just don't, they don't have the time to spend with the players with their side of the ball like they used to because they have a whole team to manage. You know, they're like a CEO, you know, of a Fortune 500 company. So they just don't have the time to tinker with the coverages and the blitz packages and all these little things that goes with, you know, making a great defense. Not only that, you know, the Saints shipped out two really key players that made their defense special, which was Marcus Williams, who, you know, had, you know, unbelievably range, unbelievable range as a free safety. Uh, they let him go in free agency, and then they pretty much gave away Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, right before the start of the regular season to the Eagles, who was, uh, you know, just a really good nickel cornerback, safety, a good tackler. And we see that spot in the defense just getting abused, uh, you know, not only because of the lack of play, but, you know, we had a lot of injuries also. The other thing that stands out to me is that, you know, they, they're not great against the run like they have been in years past. And we started seeing that last mm -hmm. year, right? We started seeing the kind of chinks in the armor with that stout run defense. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you take away Pete Werner and Demario Davis, uh, there's not a guy on that side of the football, with the exception of maybe Cam Jordan, that knows how to tackle, Ryan. Like, that that's right. the thing that stands out to me is that 
they're so poor. T- they, 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 they look like they don't practice. Like, that's what it looks right. like to me. No, I agree. And, you know, the tackling is – that's such a sore thumb for me, man, because, I mean, if you – if that's the biggest difference between a good defense and a bad defense. Good defense is tackle, man, and they really just haven't been good at tackling. And, you know, like you said, that goes back to practice. I remember during the uh, during training camp, you know, a lot of practices were short. A lot of the veteran players and uh, older players were being set out for times. Um, they weren't playing in the preseason, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, at this point where you kind of question everything, and one of the questions I have, like, did they take it a little too easy this training camp, you know? And did he really get a chance to instill that DA culture, or did they just kind of think they could float along with the talent they had? And I, I think we're starting to see that. We're talking with Ryan Hidden. He's known as Dat Boy Wolf on Twitter. He's co-host of the Saints Twitter podcast. He joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz. We got to talk about Honey Badger because he was supposed to bring something to the team, right? And I know he had the thing with the personal issues where he stepped away from the team for a little while before the start of the season, and that kind of made things curious, and people were like, well, what's going on there? And we are like, well, you know, he's a vet, not that big of a deal. I, I hate to ask this because I never thought I'd see the day where I asked this about Tyron Matthew. Is he invested? Is he invested in playing for this team? Ooh, I mean, it's it's so hard to answer those type of questions, man. But then you look at the play on the field, and it's not very inspiring. You know, he was coming in, you know, he was coming in as like a leader, as a vocal leader, as someone who can lead with his play. Look, I mean, he was on he's already on the tail end of his career. You know, there was a reason he was available that late in free agency when they signed him. But, you know, my thought was maybe he could give us, you know, kind of like Malcolm Jenkins did, you know, a year or two ago when he came in. And even though, you know, maybe he's not the athlete he used to be, just some of that veteran savvy and, you know, maybe he could bring something to the table. And, man, I just – it's nasty missed tackles week after week with him in the wrong spots. Um, You know, maybe – they're asking him to do a lot due to a lot of the injuries in the secondary. Maybe they're asking him to do some things that, you know, he's not accustomed to doing right now. But you're right, man. It's not very inspiring. And it's, I know that's a lot of, very disappointing for a lot of the Louisiana folks because, you know, they were excited when he was signed and, you know, come down, you know, come down to play for the home team. But, yeah, I'm, I, I haven't seen much inspired play myself, sir. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, it's it's not there now. I want to go to the offense because I, I you call up a young man last week off the practice squad because you're decimated at wide receiver, and he scores on a 44 yard end around, and then he doesn't see the ball the rest of the game, and then that same player gets you a 50 yard plus touchdown in the very first quarter of this ball game last night, and you don't target him again. When you need playmakers, you need guys that can give you a burst. You're desperate. You got Traquan Smith and you got Kevin White out there playing wide receiver. I I just, like, I've never seen that before where you got a guy, his first two touches of the season are a 44-yard touchdown and like a 56-yard touchdown, and then he doesn't get any more looks. Like I, I, And then they they were using Taysom Hill, and then they stopped using Taysom Hill. I I, I don't get it, man. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. We were, you know, we were on our, we have a 
uh, game day Zoom we do during games, and we were all asking the same thing, like, what is going on? Like, you have a player like this, and people, some people are like, oh, you know, they only have time to put in so many packages during the week. I'm like, look, get on the sideline and figure it out. Run this go route. Dude's like, this dude, every time he gets his his a chance to make a play, he is making plays. Like use that. Use Taysom Hill. Uh there was a um it was I think it was in the third quarter uh yesterday in the game. They were on the uh they were in the red zone and three steps in the red zone, Alvin Kamara wasn't on the field, nor Taysom Hill. Why? Like why aren't your two best playmakers on offense on the field there it when is. You're in the red zone? It, it makes no sense, and obviously that comes back to coaching. And I don't know, you know, I don't know the you know the hierarchy of decisions that goes in. But you know, like, for what I understand, Pete Carmichael, it's carte blanche for him. He could he could do what he wants. So I, I just really question a lot of decisions that's being made, you know, during the game and going into it because it was really annoying. Because man, they started that game hot, like it was one of the best starts to the game that we've seen from the Saints offense. But, you know, even me, even seeing that, I was, couldn't get too excited because it's like I still hadn't seen a full game from this unit. So let's just see how it plays out. And, unfortunately, those two turnovers at the end of the uh, first half, man, those were just backbreakers, man. No, you just... can't have two. Yeah, three picks and two of them pick sixes. It's just like even Drew Brees is hard to bounce back from that. But when you're as limited as we are, man, that was like almost a mountain too hard to climb. And, look, one of the pick sixes was it on Andy. It hit Callaway yeah. in his hands, and I was taught a long time ago by Coach Mo at Dutchtown Middle School, if you can touch it, you can catch it. All right? So, right. And, and when it hits you in your hands, and then it just you, you serve it up. But I just look at this team, and I go, Whew. you know, I, I just <laughs> – I, I, you just go, woof. Like, you just – I don't. Like, how I know. do you fix it? I don't even know. Like, well, how do you even fix it? People are like, "Hey, you know, maybe we put Jameis back in there, or do this. Maybe when we get healthy, or this and that." I'm like, "Man, I just don't know. I don't know." It's so many little issues that has compounded that I don't even know where to start. Let me ask you this: I'll get you out of here with this, Ryan. No, Michael Thomas again. When is it going to be concern time about him playing again this season? Like if if he doesn't play for the Raiders game, is it time to sound the alarm to be concerned about whether or not Michael Thomas is really going to be a, a full time saint again? I mean, it's a tough question. I mean, you wonder why he had, he had been on IR. He probably should have been on IR um, weeks ago. You know, uh, just to create room for a roster spot because he just—I mean—he just hadn't been practicing, man. You know, from what I understand is turf toe, and we know how. Those turf toe injuries can linger and be a problems. Um, and going forward with them, you know, his, you know, the Saints have done these things where they pushed all this money, you know, in the back, of the, back end of the contracts and all these, uh, well, in the front end of the contracts. So it's really hard to get out these contracts. When you look at Mike Thomas, you know, he has a lot of dead money tied to his contract. Even if we were, you know, to trade him or let him go. You know, it wouldn't be beneficial to the team's salary cap. So it's one of those things where you just kind of hope they figure it out. But, man, we're going on, you know, three years where we haven't really gotten into any contribution from Michael Thomas. And that's with him signing, you know, one of the biggest wide receiver contracts in the league. Um, so that that's just been tough luck for him because it's not like he was a banged-up player uh, before he signed that contract. I mean, he, 
he signed a contract and then broke the record <laughs> for most catches in the season. You know, but it's just been it's just been tough sledding for him ever since. Ryan, tell the people how they can follow you on Twitter, brother, and where they can go to get y'all's podcast, man. So you can follow me at that boy wolf, and you know you can check me out and my co-host Adam West on hashtag Saints Twitter podcast. Uh, on any podcast listener device you want to use, we're we're available. Also on YouTube, hashtag Saints Twitter podcast. Brother, appreciate your time. Keep your head up, man. Try to have a good weekend to flush that loss behind you, and we'll holler at you later. <laughs> Take care. Hey, just a reminder that here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Just call 811. Call 811 before you dig. Two days before you dig, in fact. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out there and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, remind you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. We got to take our final time out of today's show. When we come back, finalize that poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. <laughs> Uh, before we get to finalizing the poll question of the day, I want to thank our guests for bringing us home on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast. Kara Ritchie, she covers the Arkansas State Red Wolves, talks about them every day on her show. Appreciate her time as well. Chrissy Freud, college football reporter. Zach Miller, fantasy football expert. And Ryan Hinton from the Saints Twitter podcast. Great lineup. Great way to finish out the week. Let's get to some comments on that poll question of the day. Mr. Green says, look, the NFC South and NFC East have switched roles. Bucks with Brady, boy, have looked pedestrian. Remember, Bucks fans, not Brady fan. Falcons are well the Falcons. Carolina is almost as big as a dumpster fire as RP3's team, and the Saints use their best players once a game. So is the Saints season over? Not yet, but if they don't make coaching adjustments, it might be DA is what he is and PC needs to go. Let's not forget the trainers and med staff with strength and conditioning coaches too. Too many injuries, a complete overhaul of coaching possibly needed. Jamie with the thorough takes this morning. Look at that, Mr. Green ending the week strong. Final results, how close are you to giving up on the Saints season? 61% of you say you're already there. 18% say very close. 12% say not close, still hopeful. 9% say close. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who commented on the poll question of the day as well. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, the wild man, Steve Wiley, I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote in Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.